Virginia Franco is a multi-certified executive resume and LinkedIn writer, coach, and storyteller whose documents help clients to land interviews. She founded Virginia Franco Resumes when recognizing that her years of corporate communications, journalism, and social work offered her a unique understanding of how people read, communicate, and share information. Now she helps clients all over the world to tell their stories, test the job search waters, and land interviews. In today's show, she talks about tactical advice on writing your resume, optimizing your LinkedIn profile, clearing up misconceptions about ATS systems, and making your career transition. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, welcome Virginia to the Ramp Podcast. Thanks so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So we're going to start off with our typical two questions, which the first of which is, who is Virginia Franco? So I am a longtime writer. I have been writing resumes since the dawn of day, but my degree was in journalism, which gave me the opportunity to write for newspapers, magazines, websites, a little bit of everything. I wrote resumes for years for free, not having a clue that anyone did it for a living, and then launched my company when I discovered that. But I apply a lot of the lessons that I learned getting trained for the news and writing for all sorts of different audiences to, to write career documents today. Okay, amazing. And you touched on this a little bit, but how mm-hmm. do you most help support job seekers, career professionals in, with what you do? I write the marketing collateral that people need for job search. So their resumes, their LinkedIn profiles, their cover letters, that sort of thing. I help okay, them to awesome. get their story down on paper. Yeah. Okay, awesome. And I love how you even referenced to it as marketing collateral. What, what, can you talk a little bit more about like how you think about someone's you know, assets in their job search. So like yeah. resume, LinkedIn, cover letter, stuff like that. Why do you think, why would you reference that as like marketing collateral versus maybe a lot of people think of it as almost just, oh, this, I have to put this thing together type of mindset. That's right. So a lot of people make the mistake of sort of thinking of their resume and their LinkedIn as their autobiography or their blueprint. And what mm-hmm. it is, is really, it's a marketing brochure. You want to pick and choose the pieces of your career story that are relevant to the target. So I use the analogy of a brochure in vacation searches all the time. So think about when you want to figure out where you want to go, or if you want to stay at a place, you don't go and look up all the items on the room service menu and get the you know schematics for the emergency room exits. Instead, you look at the high level details, you know, Are there restaurants? Are there sporting? Is it waterfront? All those sorts of things. Those highlights are what make you want to dig in more and find out and make the decision whether to go or not. Same goes with your resume. Yeah. Do you have an approximate amount of resumes you've seen in your life at this point? Just like countless? Look, I'm old as dirt. I graduated in the 20th century. Thousands upon thousands. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then obviously a ton of expertise, a ton of Mm -hmm. experience. You've seen like everything. Um, When you think about the things you see most commonly, or let's say someone has a resume and it's like, decently well formatted and it's got Mm -hmm. decent information on it. What would be, in your opinion, like the single biggest immediate value add that someone can do to a resume? Like, I guess, speaking on average. Yeah. So I have one that refers to content and one that refers to formatting. I'll lead off with the content one. People read resumes the same way you and I read the news when we are in a rush. The think about when you open up a social media site to get the news or look at a news website, you scan headlines. If there wasn't a headline, you would skip reading the story altogether. Same goes for the resume. Put a headline on there, 
that tells the reader right away the roles that you are targeting. You can customize it based on the opportunity. If you say you're a project manager and then you add financial services in front of it, suddenly you're an industry expert. Remove it in your industry agnostic. So that little piece of quick copywriting can make a big difference. And it applies the principles of news reading. Got it. On the formatting end, people write as if someone's going to print it out and read it with a fine tooth comb. When in reality, we are dealing with people looking at these on our phones, on desktops and laptops. And we read really differently online. We jump around a lot when we're reading on screens. We're all sort of ADD. And then we have a really hard time digesting really dense text. So if you can keep your bullets and paragraphs to two to three lines and add at least 0.5 points on Microsoft Word of space in between each and every bullet and paragraph, it makes the document have enough white space so that the reader can look at it and not close their eyes and say it's too hard. Got it. Okay, makes sense. I imagine you've certainly seen resumes where you open the document and it just feels like dense and feels very intense. Do you feel like there's, and you've obviously not only seen a lot of resumes, but talked to a lot of recruiters and people on the Mm -hmm. hiring side of the spectrum. Are there things that they bring up like over and over again as probably like you mentioned, not enough white space, way too much content, stuff like that. Are there things that they tend to reference as their biggest, let's call them pet peeves that the candidates tend to do? One that make that they're very hard, that they're hard to read. So I always tell people, open your, your resume on your iPhone. If you can't get the salient points in 15 seconds scrolling with your thumb, you need to go back to the drawing board. The other thing that people, I hear people say is that they look at it and they're not, they're not really clear on the kind of role that the person is targeting. Often that's because they don't have a headline. Sometimes it's because the achievements that they have listed don't necessarily tie back to the role that they're applying for. So just sort of a, a mismatch. The last thing that I hear them say all the time is read the requirements of the job posting. Make sure Mm. that your resume speaks to those. So I tell people, go to the job posting and scroll down towards the end. There's often a list of sort of must-have requirements. Put as many of those as you can in your resume. And if it says must-have, you better have it on there versus preferred or nice to have. Got it. Makes sense. You said you've been doing resumes for a long time at this point. Mm -hmm. How have you seen the, I guess, resume writing, but also more broadly, the job search evolve and the tactics that job seekers need to employ. How has that maybe changed since you were like the first resume that you ever looked at? Yeah. It's funny. People talk all the time about the evolution of job search. I never applied through a newspaper classified ad for a job, nor have I ever gotten one just applying online. People have always hired people. So that part hasn't changed. What has changed in my mind is the method by which communications start. People don't use Rolodexes anymore. They don't, they don't talk on the phone as the first point of entry. They tend to start through email, through text, that kind of thing. And so you really have to be, your messaging needs to be really powerful, your, your written messaging. The other thing that has changed is that people can find you on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is super algorithm driven. And so putting keywords related to your job target into certain places on LinkedIn can really help you to be found. I always say LinkedIn's a two-way street. You want to use it to be found by recruiters and hiring managers, but then you also want to use it as a platform to start connecting with people and getting conversations going. And so that piece has has changed. Got it. So let's maybe talk about LinkedIn for a second. You've obviously, as you've 
picking your expertise from resumes, started working with people on LinkedIn as well. Mm-hmm. Are there, how would you think about your resume and LinkedIn? How close should those yeah. things be in terms of your strategies? Or do you feel like the strategies are very unique and different and it could be a little bit of both? Yeah. So the themes are similar that they have the themes that you put in your resume should be in your LinkedIn, but it should not be a cut and paste. The tone of a resume is formal. The tone on LinkedIn is conversational. You don't need to put every single nugget of information from your resume into your LinkedIn. And and you shouldn't. If you work for a private company where you can't share revenue figures, you're not going to put that on your LinkedIn. If you're currently employed and you're and in your current role, you know, you jumped into a hot mess and fixed it. You're not going to air your company's dirty laundry in your LinkedIn. You want to sort of in a sto- more of a conversational story format on LinkedIn, say, this is what I was brought to do. Here's some highlights in a way that you don't do on your resume. Your resume is much more detailed in uh, that way. Makes sense. When you think about someone's LinkedIn, if you were to choose, and there's a lot of elements, I think, you know, yeah. I log into my LinkedIn profile and they're, they're trying to tell me to do 50 different things. They're trying to tell me to yeah. update this and update that and add more information. And so they obviously are incentivized partially to help you, but also mm-hmm. mostly to help themselves. So sure. <laughs> cut through that noise a little bit. Yeah. When you're sitting down to update or revise your LinkedIn profile, let's say, what are the three places that will have the biggest impact? Whether it's like, okay. you know, make sure you have a good right. photo and header photo or the, like your tagline at the top is most important or your bio right. when they first land is most important. Or do you feel so, like those are the, the biggest impact? So there, there's a couple of sections on LinkedIn that give it what they call all quote unquote all-star status. And so that's sort of the bare minimum that you should have to start doing well in search. So you need your picture, your headshot, your customized headline, which is shows up to the right of your picture. You need to fill out the about section, the job experience, the education, and the skills. So I guess that's six. Those components are the bare minimum. All the other stuff makes LinkedIn very happy. I always say LinkedIn's like a needy partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. It want you to use the platform as much as you can. So whatever you could do to fill out extra sections, comment, connect with people, respond to messages, the algorithm takes that all into account and it could impact how high you show up in search. Got it. Okay. And then I think for me, I know one thing I've experienced is I'm out of working at a job. I'm not necessarily actively in the job search. I have mm-hmm. my LinkedIn profile set up, but I'm not really going on there every day or whatever mm-hmm. else. How do you recommend people use LinkedIn over the course of their careers? Like, is this something where you say, get the basics down and then when you need a job, go all in? Or do you recommend people maintain a presence or how important do you think that is if you already currently have a job and may not be looking for a job for the the next six months? If you think that you want to always remain open to opportunities, like if you say, I I like my job, but I'm not going to turn down an amazing opportunity it makes sense to remain active on LinkedIn. The other thing I always say is remember the adage, don't wait till you're thirsty to drink, to dig your well, right? So the Mm -hmm. things that you can easily be doing to keep your profile fresh and current on LinkedIn or and keep the algorithm happy, one, make sure that all of the stuff is complete. Secondly, spend 15 minutes a day just putting comments on the posts of people in your space that are prolific on there. That helps your profile to stay in people's feeds and again, will show up higher in searches. And then if you want to go bold, you can create a post or share an article of your own once or twice a week. 
Those little things are sort of maintenance and they'll help you whether you're active or not. Because recruiters aren't looking for the best job seeker. They're looking for the best candidate. And you wouldn't want to miss an opportunity just because you don't want to spend 15 minutes a day on there. Got it. For someone that maybe hasn't posted before, hasn't done some Mm -hmm. commenting and stuff and might feel like, I don't know if I have anything to say, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like, how would you recommend someone go from zero to one on, on LinkedIn? So do a search using LinkedIn search filters and and type in your industry and you can search by posts and look to see what people have said. See if there's something that you have an opinion on or you want to add a little bit of extra insight. I challenge anyone to not find one thing that they want to chime in on and add that. It doesn't need to be a soliloquy. It can be one or two lines. Okay, got it. But the search filters will help to steer you. Okay. Makes sense. So then as far as LinkedIn goes, anything else Mm -hmm. that you've noticed the most effective candidates do that less effective candidates don't do? They position themselves as experts in their industry by sharing, commenting, they're thought leaders. I know it's a tall order, but starting with commenting and all that, that, that differentiates you. Those people have jobs increase coming in. They never have to look for jobs. Got it. One thing that has helped me, I've started posting more on LinkedIn in the last year, partially due to role responsibilities at my current job, Mm -hmm. but also partially just because it's, I find it interesting and enjoy writing. But one thing that has helped me is rather than think about, I need to be the smartest person writing the content that I'm writing about whatever the topic Mm -hmm. is. I just need to add value to someone that is slightly more junior than me or like, I'll write to myself a year ago or write to myself, like think of it more as notes to self that you would find really interesting or helpful to improve your life or your career or whatever else a year ago or two years ago. And you'd be surprised like how many people that that can really help support or how many people find that really interesting. That's super, it's super helpful. It's, It's really needed on there for people that are younger than you. The other thing that I would say is common amongst successful folks is that they're always connecting and curious about other people. They make a point a couple times a month of reaching out to someone on LinkedIn, on another social media platform, on email. Um, They have quick coffees with people, uh, but just they keep those connections fresh and current. Got it. Okay. So a slightly different question or a different angle here. When you think about new grads or people who are entering the workforce, I think there's been an awesome movement around kind of like workplace empowerment and just like thinking about how you navigate your career and stuff like that. What would you recommend folks who are, you know, in their looking for their first job or first couple of years into their career, like how they should approach both the job search and just like career building in general? I see that folks that are coming out of school, just they feel an inordinate sense of pressure to land the right job to get them to this amazing place down the road. That That's a tall order for your first job. I say, what is your ultimate goal with that first job? For me, it was, I don't want to live in my parents' basement. It was a very small, unambitious goal. And so I took a job that could further that, make that happen. And I did it for a year, learned enough moved on. But just remember that every job can be a learning experience and doesn't need to be the end all be all. In terms of how they should go about job searching, to me, it's no different than the way someone should be job searching when they're, you know, 20, 30 years in. It's figuring out who you know, who you need to know, who you know that might know others and getting those conversations going with some clarity around what that first role might be. So you might say, 
I graduated with a degree in communications. I'd like to work at a small tech company in this part of the world. Here are yeah. five companies that I'm looking at. Do you know anybody? Or can I talk to you because you work there? How did you get there? I see you were there and then you left. Start those kinds of conversations. Awesome. Love that. One last question related to like resumes, LinkedIn, stuff like that, which is you've posted about ATS systems. And I think they're a pretty hot topic these days. Yeah. People, I've seen tons of posts and things just around like, is my resume even getting looked at? Because they cause a lot of anxiety. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's enough anxiety uh, as it is with, you know, mass applying mm -hmm. and all that type of stuff. So you seem to have great knowledge around that topic. So for someone who wants to get past the ATS or optimize mm -hmm. their, their resume for the ATS, what do they need to know? So number one, there's like 250 or 300 different systems. So I'll, most of the advice out there is based on sort of the least common denominator. The second thing is that ATS is improving by leaps and bounds. The third thing is that at the end of the day, ATS is really just a filing system to help recruiters deal with the hundreds and hundreds of applications that they get. Most recruiters that I speak with are on the other side actually reading these resumes, but the, the ATS helps them to file them. What you could do to make sure that you're, you'll never get kicked out of ATS. There some, some ATS are built with what they call knockout. You can turn on knockout questions and they are things where you automatically disqualify someone. So if you see a job posting that says must have this certification or must have this, those might be built in as knockout questions, not always, but if you get like a immediate rejection, that is often the case. What you can do to make sure that your that ATS can read every bit of your resume accurately is number one, to not put your contact information in a header or a footer. I would stay away from those really stylistic templates that are on like Canva and sites like that. Most ATSs cannot read things that are in a text box or like a graph or chart or anything like that. And a lot of those templates by design, you have to put your information into the text boxes. So if you can choose templates that let you write it in a, like in Google Sheets or in Microsoft Word or something like that, save it as a PDF. If you've had several roles with the same company, you want to make sure that the company name shows up next to the job title with the dates. That way ATS can score the number of years correctly. That is... What I sometimes do to make it easier for the human eye is if you have like three roles with the same company, I'll hide the company name in a white font so ATS mm -hmm. can pick it up and the human being can't. Not all, T all ATSs have that issue. You just never know what you're dealing with. So those are just a couple easy tricks. If you do those, your document's going to be able to be read. Got it. Okay. So a couple things that I thought were interesting mm -hmm. about what you just said. One is a lot of people have this idea that if they don't have the perfect resume, they're getting auto rejected. And it sounds like for the most part, that's not the case unless no. there is some sort of qualification question, which has nothing to do with the design or look and feel that's or anything right. else of your resume. Okay, got it. Right. So that's, that's super critical information. And then two, it sounds like in general, the best thing you can do is keep your resume clean, simple. Don't over style it. Don't try and add extra elements. What is your opinion? I see this a lot and I think a lot of people tend to like them but have heard a lot of like more negative things from recruiters or hiring managers and stuff is the like the scales for different skills like yeah I'm like yeah i'm like fluent in spanish i'm a four out of five yeah 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 <laughs> i mean so 
those are those are space wasters. You yeah. only have one page, maybe two, to convey your story. Do you want to waste it on a graphic that shows that you are four fifths proficient in a software? List the stuff that you know well enough to use. Don't list the stuff that you don't. Content needs to be king over the design. Formatting needs to focus on easy readability, not a ton of bells and whistles. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. That's super helpful. I will give you a chance now because I've had specific questions, but you're the expert yeah. in space. Are there things that I haven't asked about that you're like, they come up all the time with people's resumes, <sighs> or they come up all the time with people's LinkedIn's? The other thing that I was thinking about in terms of readability that I think is important for all sorts of writing, specifically resume, is that I spoke at the beginning of how when we are reading online. And when we're in a rush, we tend to jump around a lot. So there's things that you can do to help draw the reader where you want them to go. Number one is to have formatting that clearly shows the sections, right? Here's my experience. Here's my education. The other thing that you can do is you can use bolding or maybe like a different, like a, a color, like Navy or something like that to highlight the part of the experience that you want to showcase. So let's say you want to showcase that you worked with some of the industry's top companies, then you're going to bold the company names. Conversely, let's say you want to show that the job titles are most, are most relevant. You might want to bold those. And maybe you'll put that the beginning and the company after. So think about what piece is most relevant to the story and sort of choose your formatting to showcase that. And then also order your information that way. When people are reading in a rush, they tend to start at the beginning of a sentence and they don't always go to the end. So the order of things can really matter. Company, title, etc. When you're writing a sentence, you front load it, which means you put the good stuff at the beginning. The other thing that we do because we're jumpy is that we're, when we're reading bullets, we tend to start with the beginning one. Then we'll jump down to the bottom and stuff in the middle. It sometimes doesn't get read till later on. So if your second bullet is the second most important thing you've done, stick it at the bottom. Got it. Okay. And my follow-up question to that is mm -hmm. outside of everyone should go and follow Virginia on LinkedIn, go to her <laughs> website, you. but for people, it seems like a lot to know and learn and understand. And there's a lot of not necessarily conflicting information, but subjective information out there sure. about what to do. How do you recommend someone to like not get overwhelmed with the amount of stuff? Yeah. Is, would you Drown say, up. Hey, just, yep. just pick through the one noise. person? <laughs> Just pick one person and kind of follow their guidance that you trust. Is it, you know, there's a certain website or a certain thing that where you're like, here's how I stay up to date on things. So I always say that I like the rule of three out of five. Everyone has opinions, but if three or five people sort of say the same thing, then you've got something that is probably true. I am not experts that use fear mongering tactics. That's pretty transparent to me. And so I wouldn't, I don't follow people that do that. And the other thing that I think is important is to, follow a wide range of people. So I follow other writers. I follow recruiters. I follow HR people, hiring managers, LinkedIn coaches. That way I can get a really well-rounded understanding of what's happening in the space. And I use that to inform my writing. Got it. Great. Kind of a just hypothetical for you, because mm -hmm. we, we've thought a lot about this at, at Ramped is there's this, the whole system of writing resumes, submitting them, doing, doing all this stuff. And it feels like a lot of companies have optimized on their side. Like the goal with LinkedIn or companies is get as many people to apply to be able to choose from as possible. Mm -hmm. And then we'll figure out later how to 
categorize and organize all these people and like make decisions about it. Are there any similar weapons or like, you know, things that job seekers can equip themselves with outside of, I guess, consuming the right information and thinking about their job search as this marketing process? To me, your best, your most powerful tool in your toolkit is your network. Nothing beats knowing somebody who's close to the decision maker. It's like the Disney World Fast Pass or whatever they call it now, lightning yeah. or something. It won't get you the job, but it can sure as heck get you an interview. And cool. so continue com with conversations. So I follow up question to that if you thought about it. Maybe it's okay if mm -hmm. you have no answer to this. I <laughs> Could you imagine like, or, or in all your years, like, have you ever thought about if you were to, let's say resumes were gone tomorrow and mm -hmm. the whole process of intaking resumes and all that stuff. And we kind of like hit the reset button on how do you go about a, like getting a job? Have you ever thought about like what you would replace that system with or changes you would make to the existing system that you feel like would be beneficial both to companies and to job seekers? I know it's a big question. Sometimes I'll engage a post where we're like, what if this, what if that? And then everyone pokes a million holes in it right. into why it won't work. And so my biggest takeaway has been, there's no perfect, perfect system, but what's important is sort of to know the holes in what each process does and try to sort of overcome it. I mean, people have been predicting the death of the resume for a really long time. It's, yeah. it's still around, <laughs> it's worked and evolved, right? But the good thing is that there are other tools now to showcase your stuff that can complement your resume. You know, now right. we have LinkedIn, there's video resumes, there's other social media platforms. Get your brand out in as many places as possible and spread the word in person to as many people as possible. To me, that is the the best way to navigate the world in which we live in. And I think it's, that's a that's a technique that works whether you're targeting a Fortune 500 or a startup. Got it. And then one follow-up to that is, you mentioned people use resumes, they've got LinkedIn now. Has there been any new tools or things that you've seen recently where you're like, whoa, like people should, you mentioned video, video applications or resumes or things like that. Yeah. Have you seen anything in the last, call it like two, three years where you're like, that mm -hmm. is, a, is a really effective additional way that people should be putting themselves out there? Well, I know in, in, at the college level, Handshake has become really big for mm. recruiting for people. Yeah. In terms of a tool that I think is really important to understand and master all of the AI stuff is become super prevalent. You know, one-way AI interviews are really common at big companies. They're a great way to screen out a bunch of people at the beginning. And so understand what are keywords that are in, you know, to address that, you need to know what are keywords that are relevant to your industry and the role you're targeting, and you need to weave them into your responses so that when you're, when you're responding to the computer uh, that's interviewing you, you, the software can parse it out and, and you'll do well. AI in general, the chat GPTs are are really good to help you overcome writer's block. I I have used it a lot. I don't, number one, do not put your resume on AI, on ChatGPT, because then it becomes a common resource for other people. That's your mm. proprietary stuff. But you can use it to help you write a cover letter, to help you write an outreach letter. Just remember that it's going to be, you're going to need to do some heavy editing. It's a great starting point, but it I've seen some doozies when trying to test out the software. Is that is that the new wave where you're seeing a lot of people have just taken ChatGPT responses and then created the resume out of it, and now you have to go and clean it up? So I, since I'm not a recruiter, I'm not seeing it. I know a couple people have, but I'm mm -hmm. seeing them on in LinkedIn comments where it's clear that it's AI. But when I say write a cover letter for this job, it's the most generic, boring. 1980 style cover letter you've ever seen, but it's a good starting point to get 
<laughs> to at least yeah, get yeah, your yeah, creative yeah, yeah. juices flowing. So easier to edit something that's already there than yeah, to stare at a blank yeah. page. Yeah. Okay. And cool. if you want to write content on on social media platforms, it's a great place to to, to get started. Yeah. And get okay. ideas. Cool. Well, one or two questions to wrap things up on the career side. The okay. first of which is you've written also about career switching, thinking about different, mm -hmm. how you find new roles or new industries, stuff like that. What do you feel like people either overvalue or undervalue when making career decisions? I'm not sure how to answer that question exactly, but I can say when people are making a career switch, one thing that I think trips them up is that they are not clear on their deal breakers or their non-negotiables. That absolutely needs to inform what you're going towards. Because a lot of people make the, the mistake they where they're just running from something versus running to something. So being really clear on what you absolutely will not accept, I think is really important. The other thing that I think people underestimate is how hard it can be to do a career switch. It takes a lot more legwork. Applying online is not going to be easy for you because you're not as close of a match as somebody who has been in that role the whole time. So it will require a lot more conversations and networking to convince someone, not a recruiter, because recruiters are not going to, recruiters are looking for that close, close match, which is someone with a ton of experience in that industry. But conversations with, with decision makers to convince them that you're worth the risk is that is required and it can be done with that. The other thing that I tell career switchers to consider is if they need to land really quickly or they're hoping to have their job search to be shorter, think about the idea of micro pivots, where if you want to get, let's say you're in, I don't know, you're an IT recruiter and you want to move to medical device sales. You might want to go, you do a micro pivot into medical sales in the field, in healthcare, into the field you're in. And then from there, then you move to sales. So you're doing Got a series it. of leapfrogs to get there. Easier to convince the hiring manager that you're a solid risk if you show that you understand the product or you understand the industry that you have those transferables and with something this ancillary is a little easier does that make sense makes ton of sense i i actually okay. think that's something a lot of i struggle with and a lot of people struggle with is most important thing is first figure out like what you want and where you want to go mm -hmm. and i think people probably don't spend as much time on that as they should but then once you do know it this secondary element of assessing what things do I need to do in order to get there? So like if, yeah. if I say, hey, I want to be a, if I'm 23 and I'm like, I know I want to be a VP of marketing at a tech company. Okay, well, I'm not going to be able to go out and be that next year. So what are the right. things that I want to progress to get towards that? I love your concept of like micro pivoting. Let me just get something that's going to get me to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. Right. And it may be like, and I think you may get there faster with a three-year micro-pivoting versus spending three years just trying to go from zero to 100. That's right. That's right. Cool. I'm anyway, sorry. Anything else you want to there, add on that? Well, so I don't have it, but there's a certification called UMAP, Y-O-U-M-A-P, and they have a site of coaches that it's the most fabulous assessment to help you figure out what kinds of roles would be a really good fit for you. I think based on what you like to do that you're also good at that will pay you whatever you, you know, that meets your deal breakers. Because awesome. you've got to find a job that's at the intersection of all three of those things. That makes sense. Cool. Well, just to wrap things up, anything that we didn't touch on where you feel like, hey, someone who's in their career, in the job search, they're struggling, or they are looking for some, you know, words of wisdom or advice or anything like that, anything you want to close on? Bill, you've asked such great questions. This is super thorough. I can't think Perfect. of a thing. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. 